Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Romans chapter 12, and we're only covering, I don't know if this is mine, but I'm going to drink it. <laughs> it is what it is, you know. Desperate times, right? Man, y'all pray I make it through. My voice has been struggling today. Mm. But we're going to get there. So we only have two verses today. And I know you're sad about that. I know you are. I know you're broken up about it. <laughs> and if it's any reflection, only two verses, this should be a 20-minute thing. In and out. You know what I mean, DJ? In and out. There's a reason why it's only two. These two verses are loaded. I mean, it's like, I don't even know. Anybody ever eaten at Hardee's? Is that up here? Is there, where's the closest one? You used to have them here. Annapolis? Well, they, they were all over the place in the south. Um, you got them in Mississippi? Yeah. Um, they'd had this thing called a loaded burrito on occasion. And so... Loaded. You don't like it loaded, huh? Well, let me tell you, this is going to be a message that is loaded, friend. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in here. And uh, honestly, it's just, there's a transition that's happening. The, the passage is taking a turn. He's laid a bunch of groundwork. And remember the, the goal here, oh, they shut all the blinds in the back. I had them open for some light, but I guess the teenagers don't like the light. Go figure. Yeah, they got it all dark back there. When I first walked in, I saw all of them were down. I was like, whoa. It was nice blue haze. It literally looks like you're underwater. You guys did such a good job. It looks amazing. I'm going to not kick anything over. I'm going to stay right here. Amen. Not step on anything. This It's Shark Week. Did you know? It's Shark Week. So there it is. That's our addition. <laughs> oh, man. That's a great spot. It's like the camera just comes right through, doesn't it? Uh, hopefully. <laughs> um, anyway, but it, there's, a, there's a transition, and we've been talking about, especially from really chapter 9, 10, and 11, he's talking about the Jewish folks and how some of them have received it, some of them have not, and then they're kind of like wondering, a little worried, is it are they going to buy back into it? And then some of them that are Torah-abiding Jews, they're like, all these crazy Gentile people are coming in, but what about our brothers and sisters? And Paul is like, the Gentile people are your brothers and sisters. You see what I mean? And, and that's what he constantly keeps going back to. And so the theme here, we're going we're gonna to stay on theme and on point, but we can't miss what, what's about to happen here. And so... The idea here is that we're not conforming to a specific culture. This isn't about conforming uh, Torah-abiding Jews and non-Torah-abiding Gentiles together to where they look the same, but it's about conforming each specific group of people to the image of Jesus. It's about Christoformity, as Scott McKnight says, right? So it's, it's about the church looking like Jesus, and so that means you can come from separate backgrounds, uh, a different social class, a different country, a different nation, and at some point, all can worship under one name, 
under one roof and, and we look the same. And so uh, as, as it pertains to that image of Jesus. So in my experience with church, and there's going to be a little of that this morning, especially about these verses in particular, the message has gone a different way. And it's such a fine line to, to people, people preach, some churches, I should say, I'm trying to be careful here. I don't know why I'm trying to be careful, but uh, don't be conformed right to the world. Has anybody ever heard that statement? Don't be conformed to the world. And I would agree with that on some levels, right? But certain churches and, and sects of religion take that to an unhealthy level where they all end up looking the same. And if you don't look like that, then you look like the what? The world. It sounds like some of you have been a part of that mentality as well. And then what we have is churches that look the same. You could take a, you know, a, a purview, a, a bird's eye view, if you will, of the congregation, and everybody kind of looks, and, and not at Bethlehem, thank the Lord. Uh, we look, there's differences here, and we celebrate those. But the context of don't be like the world, immediately we take that to an outward personification. And we make that look like uh, what we wear, what we dress, and some would even take it to a level of, you know, like for instance, my wife and I, how we grew up, I mean, women couldn't wear pants, um, but my wife wears the pants in the family regardless. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that was good. We got a laugh. All right. I was just poking. I was just seeing if we'd get one, but um, you guys were waking up a little bit. But that's, that's a, a twisting of what the message is. <laughs> Cultures change. Torah-abiding Jews. Do you think the Torah-abiding Jews dress different than the non-Torah-abiding Gentiles? Yes or no? Uh-huh. Yeah. But isn't it riddled through Romans with all of their dress standards and how they should look? Isn't that what we've been reading this whole time? No, it's not there at all. <laughs> We don't see that. In fact, it's a, it's a direct, intentional movement to say, I'm not talking about those things. In fact, what I want you to see is the reasoning behind their Torah abidingness. I want you to see the depth of why they do what they do and why that nation was called to be that nation from the beginning because therein, if we can take it back to its root, we can figure out the why and how it applies to these newcomers. And, and that's the terminology of there's a root and it ain't you and I. We can be an olive branch or a wild olive branch and still be grafted in because we're getting our sustenance and our sustainability from the root, not from other branches. So we got to take this thing back to the beginning when, when you hear the term you know, America is a Judeo-Christian nation, right? You, you, it summons the historical context that the Jews started something as God called them out, and that spread to what? Christianity. And what was an exclusively Jewish religion became a religion for all nations, and we see that transition right here in the book of Romans. That's what this is. This is the most important, I believe, the most important letter for us, for the church, is this one right here. 
And if we just rewind back a few verses, we're seeing that Paul is saying things like, there's almost been a hardening of their hearts, the Jews, so that the fullness of the Gentiles can come. In other words, it's really not their time right now. It's our time. And I think we can see that. But we also see that Paul says, but God is not done with them. God, I think God's going to do more things to call those people, those Jews that deny Jesus as the Messiah. I think one day they're going to see it. Everybody's going to see it, right? But if we are not careful and, and we don't walk through this scripture, we arrive to a verse like we have today and we just rip that thing right out of its context and make it sound like whatever we want. And we cannot do that today. Today is two verses and we, we have to keep it in line or in the light of everything that we've studied up to this point. So if you've missed one message, don't listen to anything I have to say today. No, I'm kidding. You can listen. You can come in on this. But, but you have to see it in this context. This is a letter written to the house churches. His goal is unity. His goal is that the Torah-abiding Jews and the non-Torah-abiding Gentiles start playing nice. And they start focusing on Jesus and not their differences. Now let's go to the text. You ready? Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That's all we're going to read. Therefore, brothers and sisters... You see what he did there? Therefore, in other words, what is it therefore? We've had all of this discussion, all of this context, everything that we've discussed up until this point. Therefore, he's not saying this is an isolated uh, conversation apart from the rest of the letter. He's saying because of everything else I've already written, brothers and sisters, you see what he did there? How about all your differences? I've explained it well enough. I've come at it from the right perspective. You should see each other as what? Brothers and sisters. And now that we have established this, now that we've gotten to this point, and now that we are all in agreement, whether they were or not, right? Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of who? Don't miss that. In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Other versions say this is your reasonable service. I like the idea of true worship because it really allows us to connect to this. If we do this, we are actually doing something meaningful. Reasonable service sounds like you ought to do this. True worship sounds like this is something that will mean something to you and it will be the right thing, right? Verse two, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mm -hmm. So that you may discern what is the good pleasing, and perfect will of God. How many would like to know the will of God for their lives? I mean, that's like a thing, right? It was, when I was a teenager, it was like this mysterious thing. And you go to church camp once a year to figure out what the will of God is for your life, right? You learn everything at church camp. And if you're unaware of church camp, you should go one of these times. You'll be like, well, I'm not a teenager anymore. That's okay. You need to act like a teenager for a week, volunteer at camp, and go to church camp because it'll change. You'll learn the will of God for your life at church camp. But 
it, it, it used to be this like mysterious thing, right? Like what is the will of God for my life? And don't raise your hand, but how many of you, you question that at times. You're like, I wonder if I'm in God's will. I wonder if I'm actually doing the right thing. I wonder if he is like, you know, on board with what I'm doing. Am I actually in the center of God's will or am I doing my own thing? And I think sometimes we feel like we're in it and sometimes we feel like we're not. Can anybody track with that? Sometimes we're like, I feel smack dab in the center of it. My goodness, we're on a merry-go-round of God's will. And other times we're like outside the theme park just trying to get admission in. You know what I mean? And we're like, man, I, Lord, please let me in. I lost my ticket. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't have no lunch money. Like we feel like we're so separated from what God is doing. But in this context, we are able so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and perfect. Some, <laughs> I think some people think that that's like a tier. What's good? What's the good will of God? The be- it's like good, better, best. You know, you can discern which one you're in. I don't think that's what's, the, the grammar, the grammatical order here of this is it's all pushing towards the word will of God. Right, So they're all describing one place that you're in, and that's God's will. I don't think there's like a good, better, best. I think it is within the grammar, within the structure of what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, these are all, you're going to figure out what is good, what is pleasing. This is excellent. You see what I mean? He's describing the will of God, not a three-tiered you know, situation. What's behind door number one kind of thing. But I want to take you back to the beginning of the, the verse, Therefore, brothers and sisters, what are the next two two words, if you have your Bibles, or if you're looking on the screen? Therefore, brothers and sisters, what are the next two words? In view. In view. view. Let's look at that. And and really, I have this broken down today in two parts. In view and I urge. In view and I urge. These are going to be the two areas that we look at. But uh, how many have an iPhone? Everyone else doesn't matter. You don't matter. No. (laughs) Anyway, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> My cough drop, I swallowed a little bit down the wrong tube. <laughs> so if you have an iPhone, I mean, like, how many cameras are they going to go to, right, on the back of these phones? It's like, now there's up to three? It's like, by the time we're all said and done, there's going to be, like, 20 cameras on the back of these phones. It's like holding it up. I don't even know. What, <laughs> it's just kind of weird, isn't it? It's like you can just go buy your DSLR and attach that thing to your phone. Check it out, you know? It's like so weird. I don't even know. But you have three cameras, and I guess those three cameras work together to give whatever picture you want, Ben. I, that's what I've been told. That's what I saw. But it's cool. If you hold iPhone out, uh, <laughs> does anybody else, your kids get a hold of your phone and take weird pictures? Does anybody, <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> I mean the weirdest picture. My wife, she sends me one this week, and it was like a picture of my butt. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> and she was like, no, loser. River took that, you know. She was just playing, you know. I was like, oh, great boat of confidence, sweetheart. But <laughs> anyway, the point is, is it's like <laughs> you have the craziest pictures. And like Ross, he turns these weird filters on. I don't even know how to do it, but the, the iPhone does like all these crazy keying and filters and all that. But when you, when you take a picture, if I were to like hold my phone right here and I'd have this stuff here and let's say I was taking a picture of, of Sean. I'm giving me a good picture of Sean and Wendy, right? That's going to be a good one for your new profile picture, right? So if I was here, the camera, because there's 20 cameras on the back of these phones now, 
it, it will want to know if I want this in view or if I want what's past it in view. And so if I'm holding the camera, I have to touch what I want in view, and then the camera focuses on what I'm trying to capture, right? And then I capture that moment. I feel that way about this verse. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of, there's a big conversation that we've been having, Paul is saying. There's a lot of details that we have dealt with, a lot of them about you and about me and about them, right, and how we all coexist, but that is not what I want in focus right now. As we make this transition, as we go into what I'm about to say, what I think is the crux of, of what will really bring us together and accomplish something, what really matters is what I want in view. You trying it, Terry? How's it working? No. <laughs> Everybody's got their phones. It's right. It's in view. Anyway, the, the, the point is this. is like, here's what Paul says I want you to focus on. What does it say? The what? Mercies of God. We got to bring this into view. So I want to help you this morning. Tap the right thing in your screen and bring the mercies of God into view. Now, now consider we, we've got Romans 1.16, the thesis statement for this book is, for I'm not ashamed of what? The gospel. It's the power of God to those that what? Believe. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central focus of the message. And, and that message and how we accept that message, how we declare our loyalty to Jesus is, is everything, right? And, and why is that? Because it's by faith. The just shall what? Live by faith. These are all things that we have discussed in this book thus far. And then he even brings in Abraham, the patriarch, and says that really it's by what? By faith, if you consider even what Abraham had to do with his own son. Let, let's, let's actually talk about that for a second. Right? Abraham and Sarah, it took a miraculous, stay with me. I'm about to, we're about to go on a little journey, right? Just hang in there with me. We're trying to bring something in view and focus this morning, and that's God's mercy towards you. And so if you consider the fact that Abraham and Sarah didn't have a baby until she was well past the age of having a baby, right? So in other words, Isaac, who God promised to give to them, only came to them by a what? A miracle. It had to be a miraculous birth. And so taking Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him and Abraham being willing to do so, some would say, and this is the wrong view of God. Right? That is weird and strange and sadistic, and why would he want to stab and kill his son? Listen, if you literally just look at the news apps that are on our phone, the stories are horrible. The stories of killings and stabbings of families. This week I saw one, a father killing his two daughters and then killing himself. Multiple stories. Our world is sick. The sin that is running rampant, and, and it's not, look, we all have it. We all, the thoughts that you've had that you don't want anybody else to know you've had. And the room rightfully so got quiet. Why? Because we know, we know that we are sin sick. 
We know that we are one mistake away from completely ruining our lives. Close. Think about how fragile life is. And if you're unaware of that, it's either because you're young or you're in denial. Life is extremely fragile. And so as God, and that's what the Bible is. It's a story about God redeeming mankind. God doing uh, only what he could do to bring us back to himself. And that's why when people look at the world and all that it is, we, we obviously are different creatures. When they try to define it by worldly terms, it just doesn't make sense. But according to the Bible, this will make perfect sense. And when we, when we have this proper or right view, I promise things will connect and click. But Abraham... And his son Isaac, as the Lord tells him, take him up to the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. Consider this. There is this theme of sacrifice from the beginning, from the patriarch Abraham that fathered that nation, from Moses receiving the Ten Commandments to his brother Aaron uh, being over the priesthood, carrying out Levitical priestly duties to them developing a tabernacle and then eventually a what? A temple. All of those steps and stages along the way, Scripture points to one thing, and, and that is what's needed. It's a sacrifice. Think about Adam and Eve from the beginning. They had two sons, Cain and who? And Abel, and both offered a, a sacrifice. One was acceptable and one was detestable, right? One, uh, the Lord said, yes, that is a good sacrifice, and the other killed because of it. Do you see a, a reoccurring theme in Scripture that there is a, a need for a sacrifice? And so when, when Paul calls them to sacrifice in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's a reasonable, a living sacrifice. This carries weight. It carries a purview. It carries a perspective that they had and they understood. And so we need to see that perspective. We need to bring it in focus. We need to view this thing from the right lens. And so Abraham and Isaac, the understanding is that Abraham only had Isaac because the Lord gave him to him. Without a miraculous birth, there was no son. And so the the saying, sacrifice your son, is saying, admit that you wouldn't have him if it wasn't for who? For him. And then the Lord provides a lamb. This crazy trust exercise, right, is saying that, Abraham, this nation is founded on a miracle. Every parent in here, I think your worst absolute nightmare is losing a what? A child. It's just like the pit in the, you know what I mean? The feeling in the pit of your stomach that kind of never goes away. You always have that fear that something bad is going to happen. You know, because we, we know the fragility of life. But when God formulates his relationship with man, we must go to these uncomfortable places, church. Trust me, I would love to just get up here. This is the next, next verse in our chapter. I would love to preach a happy message under the sea. We're going to have a theme message about VBS and huh, laughing. I don't know. But that's not it. We could preach on parting of the Red Sea. I don't know. Uh, but that's not what the Lord has for us today. The Lord has the next chapter, next verse, and it's weighty. And so we have to go to these uncomfortable places. Why is that? I, I just don't want church to be like that. Do you think Abraham wanted to put his son on the altar? Do you think he wanted to walk through those steps, reliving every moment except the moment he actually lost his son? No. Was it necessary? Absolutely. Why? Because consider this, 
Benny, what's up, man? I just saw you. I came just far enough. Good to see you, buddy. Uh, but but Benny, I haven't done that in a long time. Anyway, <laughs> here's the thing, though. When God chose to build His relationship with us, what does He call Himself? The highest tier. He, he, well, yeah, but He says, "I'm a what?" What the Lord's Prayer? Too much ambiguity. When he says pray, pray like this. Our, exactly. Mm -hmm. He has a father-son relationship. And so within this, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son. Mm. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. The very bedrock, the foundation of our brothers and sisters and our purview of this relationship is a father-son, father-daughter relationship. And in that relationship, Christ is our brother. And we see him as the older brother that has laid down his life, that has given his life for his other younger brothers and sisters. We see our inability in Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, understanding that we have fallen what? Short. But Jesus, but God, the second Adam, yes, the first Adam who fails, who all are dead, and the second Adam all are made what? Alive, Corinthians says. Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, have in view, in focus, the mercies of God. Well, what does that mean? It means the weight of what God has done for you through Jesus. Here's the problem. When we talk about presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, and I get up here and say, all right, here's the 10 things that, that we need done in the church, and we need you to sacrifice some time and step up and be a servant of God. If you do it because you're looking to fulfill a hole or, or a spot or you're looking to do something that makes you feel better, it's not going to last. Paul doesn't say, here's a list of 10 things I need done in Rome right away. He says, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to consider what needs done. I want you to consider what's been done. Because if you consider what's been done for you, you're going to see God in a whole new light, in a whole new picture, and you will be willing, you will lay down, you will say, whatever is needed, I want to serve you. Is that what our churches look like today? Do our churches look like people that are just flocking to come in? Why? So that they can share Jesus with others and tell them what he's done for them. Does it look like we've got tons of volunteers in church? You all do good, but we could always do what? Why? Because people don't start with the right view. We're taking pictures of other people doing things. We're modeling our behavior. We're saying what good looks like is this, is that. Look, ultimately the problem is we are conforming ourselves to this age. If we were to tear back the layers and search our hearts, would we find a heart that is dedicated to the world or a heart that is dedicated to the gospel? That's what's needed. God, give us, give us a heart. Give us a purview. I, I think that all of your problems, I think that the people that you don't like, I think that your addiction, I think that your sin, I think all those things could easily melt away if you have in view what God has done for you. There's a reason why Paul starts with it. 
he says, let's pull on the heartstrings a little bit and understand that he's still a, God is a father. And his son was given for you. What are the other implications of that? I'm so far from my outline. If you're watching the program, I apologize. I'll get back to it at some point. But if you think about the implications, there are so many churches, right, that it, it becomes about their theological system. You can lose your salvation. You can fall in and out of grace. And I think that there's a context for some of those things, for backsliding and for people that leave the church and all of that. But let's look at this from this perspective and understand that this is between God and his son. You, brother and sister, Paul is saying, have been the beneficiary of something God allowed his son to do. And your wait for eternity, your, uh, you know, your ability to be saved or delivered is not predicated on what you have done, but it's predicated on what Jesus has done. So there's, there's something that we're disconnecting here, thinking that it's about us and not about him. Especially when we say you're earning it and then you're not. Or you have it and then you don't. Paul has been very clear up to this point that Jesus died. Justification is by grace through faith. You aligning yourself, you declaring your loyalty to Jesus is what really matters. All right, I'm about ooh, 12 o'clock. All right. Let's go back to the outline. Let me share with you some, some of this. This is, this is the money. You ready? Look at the beginning of Romans 12 one more time. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in what? In view of the mercies of God. Let me read this with you. Let me read this to you after I tell you this. In view, I wrote this. With the perfect offering being made for our sin, who was he? Uh-huh. With the perfect offering being made for our sin, Jesus we are in right standing with God. We are. It's a state of being, not an action verb. We are in right standing with God. Let's, everything that I've said up to this point, let's solidify it with the text. Leviticus 6, 12 says this, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is the law of the sin offering. The sin offering is most holy. That literally just means it's set apart and must be slaughtered before the Lord. At the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. We, we find here within their Levitical law that there is a sin offering that is set apart and given to the Lord. This is before Jesus, right? Now listen to this prophetic word in Isaiah chapter 53. If you don't know this, uh, mark this down in your Bibles. This is really good for around Easter time too, but... Consider this text. Now, remember, this is written, without, I'm, this isn't an apologetic message or, or me trying to give you proofs for Jesus and that he was who he said he was, but this was written by a prophet a thousand years minimum before Jesus came, probably 1,500, but consider what I'm about to read was written long before Jesus was ever born, okay? Isaiah 53, this is the Old Testament. He grew up before him, verse number two, Isaiah 53, two, he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of the dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised. 
We didn't value him. Verse 4, yet he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. We in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by who? By God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. By his stripes, we are what? Healed. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him, Jesus, for the, uh, I mean, that's what it's looking like for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Sound familiar? When he was beaten, when he stood before the high priest, Caiaphas, when he was there in their presence, if you are the son of God, perform a miracle. Did he ever open his mouth? No, he did not. Like a sheep led, lamb led to the slaughter before his shears, he did not open his mouth. Verse eight, he was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of his people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. He was crucified between two what? He was crucified between two who? Thieves. The Bible says he was assigned a grave with the wicked. Crucified between two thieves. But he was with a rich man at his death. Joseph of Arimathea buried in a borrowed tomb of a rich man. Because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Can somebody tell me that the servant of Yahweh, depicted by the prophet, is a servant motif of our coming Messiah, and his name was Jesus. Verse 10, I, under, I highlighted it. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hands, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. Aaron, the, the offering, uh, the lamb, uh, the, whatever the burnt offering is, is to be holy. It's to be set apart for the purpose in the Lord's presence to be consumed for your sin. Guess what? Think about that. The Lord received the offering. Why? Because here's, here's, what we, here's what the church is missing today. The Lord is both gracious and what? Just. We all talk about God is love. Right? He's so accepting. I swear, like, I see people that are twisting God's word so far today in 2022 under the name of God being a loving God and him accepting things. Remember that there is two sides to that coin. God is both loving and gracious, but he is also just. And, and, a, and a zealous God. In other words, think about this. If we in our sinful nature are in the presence of a holy God, similar to the holy of holies, Inside of the tabernacle, we would be consumed. Consider the stories where they would touch the Ark of the Covenant, or a priest would go in unworthily, or someone would promise or vow to God and then, and then fall back on that vow. What happened to them in Scripture? Dead. Completely dead. And, and the point is, is we have to see... This should be in view that God is a merciful God. But you don't get God's mercy unless you had God's justice. 
So therefore, we are living in the merciful God and in the view of God's mercy and we're missing the fact that it took Jesus, God's only begotten Son, that God poured out His wrath on His Son and consumed Him. You thought it was those men that killed Him. It pleased God to bruise His only begotten Son. It's multifaceted. It's not just the angry Jews that killed this man that they were fearful would come and take over their kingdom. It was God consuming the burnt offering, the sacrifice, the sin offering. It was literally the fulfillment of all the old covenant years saying, now we have a perfect sacrifice and his name is Jesus. We can't, we can but we are greatly mistaken when we view God's mercy through the lens of what we're receiving rather than what it cost. It was a great cost. God's mercy came at the cost of his only begotten son. And if any of you had, have a son maybe that's in the military that saved lives but died doing it, I guarantee you when you see people tearing our flag apart, what I bet it would make them angry knowing the cost at which we have our freedom in our nation. We're lives of men and women that died, right, for them to receive what? Mercy understand that scripture that's the relationship with God that God you're praying to the father the father can hear you because he's already poured out his wrath on his son you are not consumed by a holy God because the Holy Ghost is there on sight because you're covered in Jesus's blood that's what the church is missing today the church is missing the fact that they wouldn't have a relationship with God if God did not pour out his wrath on Jesus. Man, this, brothers and sisters, Romans 12, 1, look, look at it. In view of the mercies of God. We just skip right over that. We're like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. God's a merciful God. What did that take? The Messiah, Jesus, has become our sin offering. He is holy. He is set apart for our salvation. Listen to Paul's other words in 2 Corinthians 5.19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. We want God's grace, right, without thinking about the sacrifice and what we cost God, his son. Does that change the conversation at all? I think it should. Galatians 1, 3 through 4, listen to this. Verse 4, actually. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Our, our, proof, our text here, it says this in verse number 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Paul said in Galatians, he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Now, at this point in the message, you should start to see something in view. You should start to see a picture that's formed. That literally, when you are consumed by what the enemy offers you in this life, and you become consumed with this age, instead of what the gospel affords you in the next, you are taking the body and blood of the Lord for granted. 
He gave his life so that you could be saved from the evils of this age. But yet we allow our teenagers and our young people and our children to be, become consumed with this age. We allow them to serve the God of this world. We live our lives only to do what? To retire and live comfortably? Or are we actively pursuing another age? And I'm not, you understand, you should be able to rest and have fun and do all of those things in the context of God's glory and what he has for you. God is a God of rest, right? But here's the difference. Living a life for God or living your life doing a few things for God? Which one is it? We're either living our lives for the Lord or we're just saying, well, I'm going to do a few things to make myself feel better about the sacrifice that he made for me. This is not an exchange. There, is there any way any of us could measure up to the sacrifice that God has made for us within his only begotten son? No. So therefore, when we offer something to God as if it's some sort of exchange and we're not laying our lives down as a willing sacrifice, we're missing the entire point. Second part of the message is I urge you. The first is in view. Remember, I told you it was weighty. Next week will be all Holy Spirit and fun and loving. <laughs> Just kidding. Next week's about the Holy Spirit and the gifts. It's going to be a fun one. But look at what's in view. In view, with the perfect offering being made for our sins, Jesus, we are in right standing with God. Now, look at the next part of the verse. He says, in view of the mercies of God, I what? Urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, pleasing to God, this is your true worship. Look, as your pastor, <laughs> what kind of pastor would I be if I didn't bring some weight when Paul is like, I mean, in King James, he says, I beseech you. In the CSB, he's saying, I urge you. He's saying, y'all, y'all got to wake up. This is vitally important for you to see this. Do you see it in the text? In view of what God has done for you, y'all need to be making some groundwork in this area of your Christian lives. Do you see what he's saying? Let me help you get there. I was super convicted this week. The Lord whipped me up one side and down the other. Whom the Lord loveth, the Bible says he chasteneth. And man, I was black and blue with the Lord's whipping this week. I was like, whew, I had a hard time sitting down at my desk after reading this passage of scripture. I was like, man, Lord, you are just on fire this week. It's tough. It's hard sometimes. Why? Because, look, the Holy, if you declare, listen, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, he loves you and he gave his life for you and he wants you to put, put your faith and trust in him. He wants to be your savior. He gave it all for you. But listen, if you have already claimed, if you've already declared your loyalty to Jesus and you're, you're saved, you're a son or daughter, you're a child of God, right? Sometimes we take that stuff for granted. Sometimes we take that sacrifice for granted and we need to put it in view and, and understand this, like, when the Lord comes back, and Paul's going to deal with this in the coming chapters, when the Lord comes back, think about it, like, we're going to get a new body. He's going to do away with all, the, all what sin has wrecked about our bodies. But right now, we're still dealing with our sin. Can anybody attest to that? Have any of us arrived? No. That's why we have confession and repentance. For you to get to the end of this message and go, well, I'm just going to go back to my sin. That's not the idea. The idea is for you to not feel defeated. The idea is for you to get the right view. 
and go, oh my goodness, I got to get my stuff together. The Lord Jesus gave so much. Don't spit in his face. It's like taking communion unworthily, right? Now we're starting to put this whole thing together, aren't we? Okay. All right. Here's, here's the I urge you part. He, I put this in Matt's interpretation of it, right? Live your life in worship to a God that will transform your perspective and direct your mission. Come on. What I see at the end of this here, of that first, these two verses, urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy or separate, and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I, th- I think the issue here is that some people like to make this a battle of the exterior. As long as you look a certain way, as long as you dress a certain way, then you're conformed to the image of God, not the image of this age. That's a huge miss because it says that the battle is the renewing of your what? The outside is not the battlefield. It's in here. And we're losing terribly. Tell me that this ain't the most anxious, depressed generation on the face of the planet. We got it all, and we're scared to even use it. You know what I mean? I mean, depression and anxiety is rampant. Why? Because, and Paul understood this, the war is in your mind. If the enemy can get you, the Bible says an un, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If, if the enemy can get you focused on this age and not the one to come, and then you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, so now you feel guilty about living two different lives and not living for Jesus, and when you sin and walk out on the Lord, I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. You feel me? When we establish our marriages, right, as a picture of Christ in the church, and we promise before the Lord, and we live our life to be honoring to the Lord, when we give our children to God and we say we're going to raise them for you, when we look at all of our substance as a gift from the Lord, because the Bible says that every good gift is from above, when we run our finances like that and we're like, God, this is yours, whatever you want me to give, whoever you want me to help, it's freeing, it's liberating. Why? Because now I am living my life as a sacrifice. It's not about what I give up, it's being available. I'm going to say that again. It's not about what you give up. It's about being available. Jesus already paid the price. He already gave everything. The Lord doesn't need your stuff. He needs you to be willing to do whatever he wants you to do. The Lord, and we're going to really dive into this next week with the next passage as it pertains to your gifts, but understand this, that God, you being a living sacrifice, isn't you going, okay, what can I give God right now to appease him? The false gods of the nations, the prophets of Baal would cut themselves. They would sacrifice children to false gods, right? They would give to appease. Our God already gave his only begotten son and he consumed the sacrifice and it pleased him and the price is what? Paid. This isn't an exchange. You're not earning this with your good merit checks this week. This is affording you a new creation life, a new kingdom life. It's allowing you in the presence of God to have community with God and be in his presence and live in that but yet we choose to live outside of it. 
We choose to live apart from God because we're not willing to give up our sin. That doesn't, those two things don't, they don't coexist with the Lord. Okay, all right. We're going to put a little bow on it. It's 1219. I don't have time for both perspectives. So here's the perspective that, that is here in our text. Do not, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect. Paul is urging the church in Rome to be set apart for the Lord's purposes. True worship is the presentation of our lives to the Lord for the Lord's purposes. Now, here's what I did. This was helpful for me. I got to the end of this, and I was like, Matt, how are you actually doing on this? Like, do you have Jesus in view? How is this actually affecting your life? And so I wrote down some questions for myself uh, and how I could kind of, like, really make sure things were aligned properly and, and pursuing the will of God for my life, and maybe it will be helpful for you. So here's what I asked myself. Do I worship the Lord? So you could ask yourself this question. Do you worship the Lord? Is this something that I actually do? Do I go through the motions or is my life a life song, right? Here's some helpful questions. And I'm just gonna read these. They're in the program if you wanna go back to them throughout the week or maybe in your quiet time with the Lord. The first question, is there a clear distinction in your life's purpose? Is there a clear distinction in your life's purpose? I beseech you, brothers and sisters, I urge you, Paul says, the point is Christoformity, is conforming your life to Jesus. So let me ask you, do you have a clear distinction in your life's purpose? If you don't, chances are you need to go back to step one and put the mercies of God in view. If you're living a couple of different lives and you're wondering what's good and what's not, if there's not a clear, distinct purpose for how you're... Like Sarah and I, like we have a, a distinct purpose for bringing the Lord glory through our family, through our children, through church planting, through reaching others with the gospel. We have a clear, distinct purpose. If that's not your story, then go back to the first part of this message and ask the Lord to give you a clear, distinct purpose. Number two, is your mind cluttered or concentrated? Is your mind cluttered or concentrated? I don't mean like, you know, you have ADD like me and forgot to take your medicine today. That's not really what I mean, right? Like, I understand, like, we all can be scatterbrained, or we all have different dispositions. Like, that's not the point. It's, are you about one job one, one year, and you're about something else another year? You're a family guy for six months, and then you don't care about your family. You understand what I'm saying? Are you consistent? Is there a, is there a track record of people that could look at your life and go, he follows Jesus? Or is it like, he follows Jesus sometimes? Right? Are you concentrated or are you cluttered? Chances are if you don't have that missional mindset, then you're not concentrated. And we all need work in this area. We all need to get there. The third question I ask myself, what are your greatest fears or concerns? Chances are our greatest fear or concern can lead us to that place to see if we're really living a spirit-filled life, if we're really trusting the Lord, right? Abraham had to face his greatest fear. Oftentimes, when following the Lord in that sacrifice, we think about what we're losing. In view, we wouldn't have, what? Anything without what the Lord has done for us. Does that make sense? Face your greatest fears and concerns in this context. Look, the end goal is, is being in God's will. Here's the last one. Are you able to discern what God has for you or 
Are you keeping a list, and I mentioned this earlier, are you keeping a list of things that you have done to appease your conscience? There is a difference between a life that is lived for the Lord and a life that was lived that did a few things for God. At Bethlehem, we, we are definitely pushing the boundaries of like, man, we feel like, and we're in this season right now, right? We feel like the Lord's going to do some pretty great, incredible things, but it's going to take all of us. Are we all on the mindset of the mission of what God has called us to do? Or do we struggle with saying, well, I'm a part of certain things? Is it, chances are, if it's like that in your church community, it's probably like that in your life. It's probably like that in your marriage. Honey, I did X, Y, and Z for you. It's not an exchange. Live your life loving and sacrificing for her, being available for her, not doing five things so that you can shut her up. Do you see the difference? Your relationship with God is the same thing. I'm preaching to myself, baby mama, if you hear me. <laughs> it's a challenge. It's, it's a struggle. Why? Because sometimes we like to keep lists so that we can do bad things too. I urge you to live for Jesus. I urge you to consider where you would be without him. I urge you to make changes now before it's too late. Your differences don't matter. Your conformity to Jesus and not this world is what matters. Jews and Gentiles, look through another filter is what Paul is saying. Not your cultures and traditions, but through your new life that the gospel has afforded you. This is true worship. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.